I was invited to be the speaker at a special get-together in a retreat area called Woodridge. Did I get that right? Ridgecrest, thank you. And a beautiful resort area. And this group of people were all volunteers that put together an annual, big annual program for the Southern Baptist Convention. And they started this years ago when they were all young married couples. And they came from different parts of the United States. They would come together and they would organize it and they would have a retreat to plan the thing. And they instantly all became friends. And every year they would get together and they would have this training time, a retreat type of, type of thing. They would bring in a speaker and they would make their plans. And, and then they were all having children about the same time. They were all, you know, all, all the ladies were expecting and the children were being born and they were talking baby talk and talking about uh, the things they were going through. And then elementary school and then high school and then they all talking about the teenagers they had, all of the rebellious teenagers and everything like that. And they were uh, just become best of friends year after year. And, they, and just the same group, the very same group every year. And, and they just kept getting older. Pretty soon they were all going, you know, all the kids were going off to college and they were talking about the various colleges and everything like that and all the talk about that. And finally the empty nest time came and they were all empty nesters, you know, and trying to work through that whole thing. And and, uh, and then grandkids started coming, and, and so they were all, they were all, same group, same group, and they were all now grandparents, and, and some of them were having great-grandchildren, and, and uh, they would bring a speaker in every year, but they were just about preached out. I mean, they were just, I mean, they, they were all active in their church, and they were just about preached out, so they, so they decided they would bring in a, um, a storyteller. <laughs> That was me, you know, and I sized up this group pretty quick, and I said, you know, what I'm going to do, they want to hear Bible stories, and, you know, they've, they've heard these stories. I, so I thought, I tell you what, I'm going to, every time I speak, like in the morning devotions and their little chapel and their evening devotions, I'll just tell you a lesser-known story of the Bible, ones that you are not on flannel graph, you know, uh, you know, ones that you don't teach at Vacation Bible School. I mean, just, just don't do that. And, and, and that most of their pastors don't preach on either, you know, just those lesser known weird stories. And so each time I would do that, and they enjoyed it, always give me a little applause, you know, and, and, and they enjoyed it. And, and uh, finally, one session I came in, it's a beautiful chapel. I mean, just a beautiful, if you ever have to been there, just, you know, it, it just go, kind of goes up and the wonderful cushy seats, you know, and the whole thing and the little platform down in front, and that's, that's where we met. And so I then told him this story. Micah lived in a town in the area of Ephraim. And one day he stole from his mother. He stole 1,100 pieces of silver from his mother. Later on, he found that his mother put a curse on whoever stole it. Well, when he's heard that, he went to his mother and said, here, here's your silver back. And she said, Micah, I, I didn't know it was you. 
I was going to give it to you anyway. Here, take it. It's yours. No, no, no. He had a curse on it. He, 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 he didn't want it. So she decided that what she would do, she'd take that silver and she'd take a portion of it and melt it down and make a little silver idol and give it to him. Once he got this, he took the rest of the silver and he made some priestly clothes that would go along with the idol and certain instruments of worship. But then he needed a priest. He talked to his children about it, but none of them were interested in being the priest for his new god. And so he was just going to wait. Well, about that time, there was a young Levite named Jonathan from Bethlehem. And he, um, he, was, he decided to travel to just find his fortune, find out what he wants to do with his life, and just see what the opportunities are. So Jonathan traveled away from Bethlehem and was going up the country and, and finally came into the Ephraim area and came to the home of Micah, which, and of course, the, of the hospitality of, of the Middle East, they had, he had him come in and they had a meal together and they got to visiting and, well, they, became, they, they just became fast friends. They visited together and talked and, and Micah found out that Jonathan was just out to see what the opportunities were. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, I have an opportunity right here. Why don't you stay here? And you, since you're a Levite, you could become a priest for my, 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 my God, my, my idol. I mean, look, all these wonderful priestly clothes that you can wear and all these instruments of worship. And on top of that, I'll, I, will, I will provide your meals for you and housing and clothes. And on top of all that, I'll pay you a salary. Well, it seemed like a good opportunity, so he agreed and became the priest from Micah's household. Well, soon he was a part of the family, just a part of the family, like, like, like one of the sons. Well, time went by, and it was about that time that the tribe of Dan were not satisfied with the allotment that they had been given in the land. It, was, it went down a valley that headed towards the Philistines, or always war there. So a group of the Danites decided they wanted to find another place to settle. So they sent five spies into the rest of Israel to find a place for their tribe to settle. So they traveled north, and they went up through the Ephraim area, and they finally came to uh, uh, Micah's house, and they made camp just outside of, uh, of the house there. So Jonathan went out to greet them. Well, as soon as they heard him talk, they realized that he had the accent of Bethlehem. They said, what are you doing here? So he told the story on how he was a Levite from Bethlehem, and he had come here, and that, that, that Micah had had uh, given an opportunity that they had this little silver god and all these fine clothes and tools of, of worship and, and a salary. And, and uh, they said, well, you're a Levite and a priest. Tell us, will God prosper our venture here? Jonathan said, yes, you will, you will prosper. Well, they left there and they went north way up north of the Sea of Galilee, up in the Mount Hermon area, or Mount Hermon, as, as they say there. And the, up in that far north, they found this luscious agricultural land 
flowing with water, springs coming out from the mountain, lush plantation. And the people there were a little people group that was separated from their main, the main nation that they were with. They were unprotected in this luscious area. So they went back to their people back down south, and they said to the people, we have found the place. We have found exactly a, a wonderful land, plenty of water, and the people are vulnerable. They're unprotected. So they took 600 of their warriors and sent them north to conquer this area. As they traveled north, they came over a ridge, and they looked down, and they saw the home of Micah. And the five spies said, see that home right there? That man has an idol, a wonderful little silver idol. On top of that, they have a priest. And worshiping clothes and instruments of worship. We could take that, and we could use it for our tribe. It'd be a wonderful for our new location. So the 600 men went down, and when uh, Micah was gone at the time, so Jonathan came out to greet the men, and he was talking to them. And while he was talking, the five spies went into the house and started collecting the idol and the things of worship. Jonathan said, well, what, what, what are you doing? They said, shut up. Now listen to me. Choice is yours. You can stay here and be the priest for one man and his family. Or you can come with us. You'll be the priest for a whole tribe of Israel. You can tell us what God wants us to do. Well, if you thought about that, it definitely seemed like a good opportunity. So he agreed. In fact, he went into the house and helped the men gather everything, making sure they got everything that, they, that, that was right there, came back out, and the group traveled on. Shortly after that, Micah came, came home and found that his idol and his priest and all the stuff were gone. So he gathered up a group of men, and he chased after the Danites. Came over the ridge, and he saw them below, and he shouted, What have you done? You have, you have taken everything from me. The Danites stopped. They looked back and said, why are you following me, us? Why are you following us? He said, why am I following you? You've taken everything from me. You've taken my God. You've taken my priest. You've taken all the stuff that goes with it. They said, listen carefully. If you keep following us, we will take one more thing from you. We will take your life and the lives of your families. Well, Micah realized he had no choice. So he and his men turned and they went back home. The Danites went on north to that little village and totally destroyed it. Killed all the people, men, women, and children, everything. Burnt down the village. And they brought their people up, and they settled there, and they built a new village. 
They called it Dan. And it's still there today. Jonathan became the priest for that tribe. And his descendants continued to be priests for hundreds of years, right down to where, when the Assyrians came in and took them off the land. Jonathan was the grandson of Moses. When I said that, the story was done. I looked up and there was no applause. I almost said, the story's done, folks. But no, they just looked at me and I, and I looked back at them and all of a sudden, it's like the group melted. They, they moved and all of a sudden we had a little group of six over here and a little group of four or five over here and a group of eight over there. They're all in little groups. As I stood there, I heard there was crying going on. I thought, crying? This is not a crying story. This is a lesser known story of the Old Testament. Why are they, why are they crying? Well, they obviously were occupied, and I was no longer needed, so I just left the room. Later on, they explained to me. They said, John, we've been together since we were young married couples. We've had such dreams for our children. We dreamed of what they would become. And so many of them have departed from the Lord. So many of our children and our grandchildren no longer serve God. So many are not even in church anymore. We asked ourselves, what did we, what did we do? How could we have been different? How could, our, how, how could our parenting be improved? And what's happened? And then you told the story that one of the that the greatest man in the Old Testament, yea, one of the great men of all the Bible, his grandson was Jonathan, who served a whole pagan tribe and led them in the worship of false gods. And realize, it's okay. It's their choice, not ours. When I heard them tell me that, that scripture came to mind. All scripture. All scripture. No matter how strange or unknown. All scripture is inspired of God and profitable. Help me out. Think of some other Old Testament characters in the Bible. I want you to think of a few. Tell me, what happened to their children or grandchildren? Either they turned out good or they turned out not so good. Who can, who can think of someone in the Old Testament or the New Testament whose children? Eli, what happened to his children? 
Not so good. Wicked. Was Eli a godly man? Yes, he was. Someone else? Real out. Did David? What happened there? Name some of the good ones and some, and some of the bad ones. Solomon, Solomon, Solomon was both, right? <laughs> yeah, he, he started off pretty good, ended up pretty bad. Yeah. What were some of his other, his other sons? Absalom. Absalom rebelled against the whole thing. And you can go down, there's, there's uh, uh, oh, that other one, I can't remember his name. Uh, what's that? Also Solomon's son. What was his name? Anyone remember? Rehoboam. Not so good. David. David. His children. Most of them. Not good. What's that? Abraham. What about him? One son. Well, two sons. Actually, eight sons. Abraham had eight sons. How did they turn out? Talk to me. Which? Well, yeah, right. <laughs> well, you must have been a pretty good son to, to uh, you figured a man who's 117 years old and a young man who's 17, he probably pretty well had to allow that, you know. Uh, what about his other son, Ishmael? Not so good. Not so good. Did you realize the Midianites? Midian was one of the sons of, of Abraham. Okay. Who else in the Bible? Who? Uh, did you say Josiah? If you, if you just take that whole segment, you have bad, good, bad, good. You have uh, 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 Ahaz, which was the first one to do child sacrifice. His son, one of the children he didn't sacrifice, was Hezekiah. Great, one of the greatest ones. His son was Manasseh, who went back to child sacrifice again. And he repented and became a good king. Then his son went back to, to sacrifice, and then his son was Josiah which was one of the great kings. It's just bad, good, bad, good, bad. I, I recently wrote a book, another book. The, um, it was one of those things, you know, I'm in my, I'm in my, I'm approaching my mid-70s. Oh, I, I appreciate that. I, I saw that look of surprise on your face, you know, I, I just, <laughs> I really, I really appreciate that, you know, it, but it's, it's, it, it, it's true. Uh, and all these stories I've told to my children and my grandchildren and, and I've told to, uh, I've told in workshops and sermons and various things, and I thought, well, you know, pretty soon here, uh, they'll be gone. So we have, a re we have a recording studio, and so... I went into the recording studio and just got the microphone and turned on the program, and I just started telling the stories, just telling the stories, one after the other. 
Then there's a volunteer in our, our organization that in her other life, she was a transcriber, you know, and so she said, well, here, you just, just give those to me. And, and my purpose was not to publish a book. My, pub, my, my thing was, you know, I want something for my children and great-grandchildren, you know, somewhere along the line. They, they all read some of these stories. And, and she transcribed it, put it in a doc file, and I started to work on it and work on it. And finally, I thought, you know, this is kind of, you know, this is, this is, this is kind of coming together here a little bit right here. And, and uh, I had to think of a really a good uh, spiritual title for the thing to, because this is this is a this is a book that you know basically it's my it's my wrestling with the will of God is what it is it, it's my you know there's only a few times in my life that God actually said something to me and I didn't like any of them and uh, uh, just every time He talks to me it's like something I don't want to hear you know and so the book I kind of talk about those things and about my wrestling with the with the will of God and. So I had to think of a title that could fit that. So I finally came up with, I'm Not a Duck. And, uh, and you have to read the book to know why I came up with that title. But uh, it really catches the whole thing, you know. And, and um, I brought it down to a particular point where I wanted some other people to read. I thought, you know, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to publish this thing necessarily, but... Uh, I, you know, get some improvement. So there's this other storyteller. She's an she's also an author and she's a conference speaker and a storyteller. So I said, Phyllis, could you could you read this thing? And so she read it and she came back and said, uh, John, there's a story missing here. I said, which one? He said, she said, I I don't know. Something's missing. Is, are you sure you wrote it all down? I said, well. He said, just something's missing. And I, I don't think you can do anything with it until you find out what that is. I said, well, there's, there's one story that's not in there. I've, I've never told it to anybody. She said, tell it to me. So I told her the story. She said, that's it. Put that in your book. People need, need, need to hear that time, that one. So I did. It's about my daughter. I had four children. My went off, she went off to Bible college, and during Bible college, she spun out. And it literally nearly killed me. I, I was willing myself dead. One of my, you don't like to think you have favorites in children, but she was a favorite. Finally, God spoke to me and said, look, you've got other children. You've got grandchildren. You have a ministry. You need to live. But I, my body was already starting to die. So it, I reversed it and came back. And finally re, reunited a, a relationship with my daughter. A few years later, she went beyond what I was, where I was willing to go. And I broke off my relationship with my daughter. I said, I'm not willing to go there. Just not. We've gone too far. Got an invitation from her and her lover that wanted us to come for Thanksgiving. 
not going to do it. And it was one of those times that God spoke to me. He said, John, and I sensed that God had his hand out to me. And I said, no. As a father, I could not go there. As a father, I could not condone what she had done. As a father, I could not have a relationship with her. God held held his hand out and said, give me your position of father, and I'll be her father. I said, no. No. I'm her father. I'm her daddy. She's my little sweetie. I love that girl. I love the relationship I have with her. Give it to me. I literally fell to my knees. Oh, God. I want her back. I want my little girl back. Give me your position of father. I had no choice. I handed it over to God. I said, now I'll be her father. And you be her friend. I got up after a while and told my wife to give her a call. Tell her that we'll be there for Thanksgiving. That was a long drive over to where she lives. But that was the beginning of building a relationship with a person that I now call friend. Jonathan's grandfather was Moses. Moses.